for listening to the Around the Net Post Tennis Podcast. Please tune in for new episodes every Wednesday and every Sunday. Good evening and a happy Sunday. I hope everyone had a great weekend. A really warm welcome to all those who've joined us. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Around the Net Post Tennis Podcast. This is our first ever episode. My name is George Barford and I'm here with my co-host, current collegiate tennis coach, former player and tennis super fanatic, Jacob Andrus. A pleasure to be here with you, Jacob. How was your weekend? My weekend was great. Got to spend it at home with family, um, just prepping for the college tennis season, and was just super excited as a as a Green Bay Packer fan that they took down the Bears once again. Uh, I'm not sure how many that is in a row. It's something like 17 or 18 times in a row, I think, and made the playoffs as well. How about you? How was your weekend? Yeah, it was good. Similar thing. Um... Southampton are 19 unbeaten. We uh, into the next round of the FA Cup. It's been a long time coming, considering they got relegated on my wedding day. They've owed, they've owed me this for a while. Um, so good sporting results for both of us this weekend. And so much to talk about with the tennis too. Uh, we we spoke briefly earlier in the week uh, about some things going on. Um, a lot happens in a week, but but some really positive results. Some really sad news about Rafa. Where where do you want to start? Yeah, I think starting with Rafa would probably be the the right place to go. Is I would say the the biggest news of the week. Um, I was pretty so sad to see that he uh, that he pulled out. I mean, I thought his level was really good those first two matches, and really, I mean, I think he had four match points against Thompson in that match as well. So he was looking good. I think he just physically broke down again, like he has in the last couple of years. Um, what do you think about it? Just really sad and disappointed. I, I feel so bad for for the guy. It seems it, it it's been a bit of a recurring story with the, with the injuries with Rafa and um. There's not really there's not too much to say other than it's just it's sad for the for the whole game really. We, everyone had so much expectation for him mm-hmm. at the beginning of the week. He, he you know when he, when that draw came out against his team, he looked really good. He destroyed Kubla one and two. And I, re- I really thought he was he was going to be a contender. He may still be for the rest of the year, but but just disappointing to to see him have to pull out again. And yeah, it's 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 sad and it changes your whole perspective on what he can accomplish. But I, I think it it solves the issue for for tennis fans around the world whether he's going to be a factor because I think mm-hmm. he will. He, he showed in his level that he's going when he does play, he's going to be really good if he can if he can fight off the injuries. Yeah, I would agree. I think something that he might benefit from, I didn't get to watch the full matches just because they were starting so late here in the U.S., but I watched some of the highlights and clips from the match. And against his in his first two rounds, he looked like he was controlling most of the rallies, uh, just ripping big forehands, playing short points. But then against Thompson, Thompson was really able to, one, be able to come to the net and be aggressive, but two, to extend the rally 15, 20, 25 balls. And I think that's what really did Rafa in was having to play those extended rallies over a long period of time. I think if he can kind of shorten the rallies, maybe get like, uh, just go for bigger first serves, bigger forehands right away and not have to move around as much. I think that's really his best chance off of the clay to keep his body in some kind of condition to be able to compete just for this last year. Because even by playing only three matches with getting that partial tear in his hip, I think that just comes from his body not being ready to move around at such a high level. And so consistently, I would say 
without enough rest period in between. I agree. Maybe adopting the approach that, that Novak has done recently as well with, you know, in improving the net game and looking to the net to shorten points, serve and volleying at times, especially on the hard courts, grass, no doubt, will be a factor with that too. But there was one match point that, that it almost looked like he choked. He wasn't comfortable at the net. He had a couple of easy put-away volleys. And he wasn't able to do it. Credit yeah. to, to Jordan Thompson. He's such a character. But it, yeah. it's so rare to see to see Rafa do that on a court. I, 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 I don't know if I can remember a time when he had match that many match points, at least, and not mm-hmm. win the match. Um, but yeah, but credit those, to Thompson those, for, for hanging around. Yeah, those, those volleys he had, I think he had several highlights of basically the exact same volley where he hits the backhand overhead cross court for a winner. I think on one of those match points, he hit a backhand overhead, tried to hit a short angle off of it and hit it into the net. I think that was his best look. And then he had another one on the six all point, the second set breaker, where he hit the same shot and he made it, but Thompson read it, covered it and hit a great volley winner off of it. But I remember in the the two matches before he, I think he had at least had one of each, and that's of that same shot, and both were clean winners by Rafa. So that's not something that you see every day. And I think that's a little bit of the rust, a little bit of the nerves from not having competed for almost nine months to a year at this point. Yeah, I, to to reiterate what what you said is that that was his specialty that high backhand that high backhand smash that not many other players can do. Um, it's it's difficult as an adult fan to to sit here and see the positive, but but there definitely is positive that you know he, he demolished Kubler, who who's a great player, team who obviously you know is recovering from injury, but but still a great player in his own right right now. Mm-hmm. That when he does play, he's going to be good. It, it just you know he needs to get himself fit, um, and ultimately if it means missing the Australian Open to see at more tournaments throughout the year, so so be it. It's it's just tough and. I read an article um, earlier in the week that that said the 2022 final was great, obviously referring to Nadal versus Medvedev. But are we going to see Nadal at the Australian Open again? And that really got me thinking about how likely is that, that we ever see him at, at the Aussie Open again? Yeah, I think I think the 2022 final was probably the last match he'll ever play there. I mean, that's that's basically the best way for him to go out at that tournament. It's it's probably, I mean, not probably, it is definitely his least successful Grand Slam of all the surfaces, um, really just because of injury or running into Novak in some of those matches, really like the Federer final as well, 2017. It's been the yeah, one. Yeah, he got injured against, injured against Stan that, that time too. As I don't remember the year off the top of my right head. There. Yeah. Um, but what, what, was, what was the better final for you? The, the Medvedev in, in 2022 or the one he lost to Djokovic? I'm trying to think of the year he missed a that, backhand that pass up the line by an inch. Yep. Yeah, yeah, it was the, think, the 2012 final. Yeah, I would. I mean, partly as a Djokovic fan, but also just based off of what I thought of the level of the matches. I think that the Djokovic Rafa match was much higher level all the way through. the The Medvedev Rafa match was pretty one sided up until Rafa turned it around in the third set. And then it really flip-flopped and became one side of the other way. Not not completely. It wasn't uncompetitive, but there was really just a night and day between the first and second half of that match. And then the, the Rafa-Novak final in 2012, that one was just close all the way through. There was You could really never pick a winner at any point in that match. And when Rafa won the third set and was on his knees fist-pumping, you're like, well, 
it's, it's going five sets. I have no idea who's going to win. And then Rafa had the momentum going up 4-2, 30-15, and then just barely missed that backhand and it flip-flopped the other way. So for me, that one would take the cake hands yeah. down. I, I the the one thing one of the things I remember most about that final was the guy at the end. You know, he comes on to give his sponsorship speech and he was just yep. talking on and on and on. They had to bring chairs out for for I the players. That, yeah. yeah, it was hilarious. Um, but yeah, just some great memories of Rafa. Like that, yeah. Um, great great memories. Um, sad to see him out, but but he'll be back, I'm sure, and 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 he'll win some tournaments. I have no doubt this year. Um, and talking of winning tournaments, Rublev and Dimitrov. Won the two tournaments this week in in Hong Kong and, and Brisbane. I would say that I was not surprised at Rublev winning the Hong Kong tournament. I thought that just from the first match that he played, his level looked really good. He looked really sharp. Um, and then for Grigor down in Australia, I was really impressed by the level that he had all the way through the tournament. I mean, he he had some close matches, but like there was never a moment where he was down a match point. He was trying to save match points to stay in the tournament. Like, he looked pretty dominant all the way through. I was really impressed by his level. Um, what do you think? Yeah, I think I, no surprises. Rublev loves a, loves a 250 tournament. He, he, you know, when you looked at that draw, he was always going to be the favorite for me. Mm-hmm. In that one, Dimitrov, the same kind of thing. He just, people have doubts about whether he can put the game together consistently. And this is such a, a step in the right direction for him. I hope that he's able to to continue and, and make a run at the Aussie Open and start his season off with with a flourish. Um, yeah, definitely using that slice a lot better. Dimitrov is the end of last mm-hmm. season. This you know these this tournament as well. Um, but I expect Rublev to to do good things this year. Um, and and honestly, it, it's it's. It says good things about the state of the tour, how many players have come back and, and been in good shape, um, sharp, and ready to go. I remember, you know, five, six years ago, guys would come back and, you know, they'd get dumped out in the first couple of rounds. But it looks like these tournaments are, you know, early early doors are more competitive than they used to be, which is which is obviously a good thing. Mm-hmm. I, would, I would agree 100 percent. There's really there's really been a lot more diversity in who's winning the tournaments. Um, and there's definitely been some consolidating at the top as well with you have Sinner and Alcaraz coming through Rune as well making the final to kind of in the last few years really solidify himself in the top 10 um, and then you have that second second string of guys with the players like uh, I don't know a Taylor Fritz, Tiafo who are all competitive um, and then you have the other contenders like Grigor, Sitsipas, Severov, all those guys are really really coming along to make it dominant. But then the lower level guys as well are just being able to play through, I would say, to a higher level than they've had in past years. There's in past years there's been times where you you turn on the TV, you have a semifinal match going, you're like, well, this this just isn't very interesting tennis right here. But in the last year or two, I've I've had very few times where I've looked and said, wow, that that match doesn't look fun. I've been very impressed and entertained by the matches that have been been playing now recently yeah no and that that's good for the sport i think um and anything else on those two tournaments or are we you know you want to make some predictions for for adelaide and for auckland um i guess just rounding out those tournaments i think the the things i were most impressed by in there was one the rung by uh jerry shang he had that 
run to the semifinals and he went three sets with with Rublev that was something I found pretty impressive I think if he can continue that as you made the prediction last week that would that would carry him well into the top hundred um and then I guess the other standout from Brisbane probably would have been just the level that Grigor played at I don't I'm not sure if he lost I think he lost one set during the week but just for the whole thing he looked really comfortable really dominant and was a Pretty nice throwback, I thought, to his uh, 2017 season when he finished top three and won the World Tour Finals. Yeah, it's uh, sometimes it's it's easy to forget that that he had that incredible result. Um, mm-hmm. Just a standout for his career. Um, I'm looking now to yes, Sif Whelan, you, you said last week was going to be one of your breakthrough players for 2024. Mm-hmm. Made made the semis. Um, that's that's looking like a, a solid prediction for you for you there. Yeah, we both had uh, both had predictions that ended up making semifinals this week. So uh, I would say pat on the back for us this week in, in picking those guys. Yeah, Bro- Brody didn't come through for me uh, against Rublev, but he had a competitive uh, second set tiebreak. Um, yeah. Myself, half half a star for that. But um, yeah, on to on to next week the the tours in uh, Adelaide and Auckland. Um, I, I'll start. I I have two two young guys winning those tournaments. Um, I have Draper winning Adelaide. And Artifice for Auckland, I, I just look at those draws and you, you look and you think there's anyone in the draw can win those tournaments. The, the draws are so open. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, there's really nobody that I would pick out of the, the entry list for them that just are standout 100% would put money down on them winning the tournament. So I would I would say really any of those young guys can pull through and get the dub. I, I also noticed... Um, KP Panu is playing uh, Max Purcell in the in the first round. Uh, interesting that you know we we oh, played nice. against him in college. So uh, so just uh, throw that in there. That'll be a fun one to watch. Maybe it'll get on uh, get on Tennis Channel. And we can see him play. I remember. I think KP Panu played against uh, Gasquet last year. I, mean, I think the same tournament as well. Um, didn't go too well for him. I think he lost one in three. But still a uh, still a fun time to watch him on TV when we've seen him play in person and competed against him as well. Yeah, and a uh, great achievement for him out of, out of D2 tennis, ma- making it all the way to the, the ATP 250s and, and above. Um, so best of luck to him in, in that match. Um, one guy I did want to touch on, um, he, he was in the United Cup this past week, won it, was uh, Alex Verev with the with the top knot. Uh, what, what do you think his chances are after after the week he's just had do you think he can make a title challenge? I think he's definitely one of the favorites. I would personally put him in my top five players that are competing for the Australian Open with Novak, Carlos, uh, Medvedev, and Sinner. Uh, I would put those those five along with or those four along with Zverev as my top five picks. And I would really favor him in a lot of those matchups. He's had pretty good success against. Uh, both Carlos and Yannick in the last couple of years. So, I mean, same against Novak. I think that he's definitely going to be a contender and very easily could be a semifinalist depending on the draw that he gets and potentially a finalist if he if he gets a favorable draw. I also think that he he always steps up and plays really well when he's representing his country, just looking back to the Olympics a couple of years back. Um, taking down Novak in the way that he did, or taking not taking down Novak, but winning the the gold medal itself was just a huge achievement. And to do that while beating Novak Djokovic was also equally impressive. So I think that 
if you give Alexeyev the chance to represent his country, or at least convince him that he's representing his, his country in one of these Grand Slams, he would be a tournament favorite for sure. Yeah, I, I agree. I definitely think semifinals would be would be a great result for him. I think you'd be slightly disappointed if he didn't make the semis. Mm-hmm. I do I do think he needs someone to beat Novak in Australia for him. I think he could he could win the title if someone beats Novak for him. I think you know he would he has a much better chance against any other guy in that draw than he does Novak. I think it's going to take a special, special performance for someone to beat him in Australia. Just the dominance and the stranglehold that Novak's had over that tournament for so many years is incredible. And he's not going to let that go anytime soon. Yeah. I, talking about title challenges, um, Sinner and, and Carlos Alcaraz are the two guys that we haven't seen yet, at least not in, in competitive tennis. Mm-hmm. Uh, they may be playing exhibitions elsewhere. I, they're not playing this week. What? How do you think that preparation will stand them in good? Would you think it'll be good stead or or bad stead compared to the players who have been playing on the on the tour? I think they will be totally fine without having to play a warm up tournament. I think just kind of looking back at both of their seasons the last couple of years and kind of comparing it to how Novak prepares. Novak generally doesn't need to play warm up tournaments. How sometimes they'll go straight from the French Open, play no grass court events, and just roll into Wimbledon and win the tournament. I think Alcaraz and Sinner both are good enough to not have to play warm-up tournaments. And they're so young that they can rely on their athleticism and shot-making to really get them through maybe a tough first-round match, tough second-round match. And then once they find their form, I think they're good to go until they run into a, a player like a Medvedev or a Zverev or a Holgerun who could hit through them or hit them off the court. But what do you think? How do you think that the their preparation will serve them going forward i don't i don't think i think the australian open is one of the one of the grand slams that because it's so early in the season it's so unique it's almost you know you have no tennis then you have a, a huge major tournament that mm-hmm. the warm-up tournament is is less important than the other ones um just because everyone's a little bit cold and you know the first two rounds are almost your warm-up tournament and those guys are good enough that it that it it won't affect them and it's not like they've been not playing practice sets, not been playing exhibitions. So I think it'll be fine. I, I, it's just an interesting thing to see how every player chooses to prepare for these major tournaments. And they're younger guys and they, they seem to have taken the, the journeyman approach of not playing on, not playing these extra tour events. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. I think Novak, to some extent, as well as Federer and Nadal over the last couple of years, they've really kind of set a standard, I would say, of the top guys not needing to play every tournament. I remember back in 2012, 2014, you'd have maybe you'd have Novak and Murray and Rafa all playing like a, an ATP 500 in the middle of the season just to prepare for a Masters 1000 that's coming up, which is also just in preparation for a Grand Slam. And now that the those former guys are either at the end of their career or winding down a bit, they've been a lot more selective of what they're playing in. And I think that's kind of been a way for the younger guys to look at it and say, well, now that we've seen Novak have great success at the Grand Slams and only play 15 or 20 tournaments in a season and not 40 tournaments, they've kind of, I think, taken that approach a little bit and are more selective on when they're going to play and how they're preparing for those bigger tournaments. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and just a reminder that, that Djokovic played the United Cup Rublev was the, the next highest ranked player to have played 
winning that title in Hong Kong. And but in between him, Alcaraz, Medvedev, and Sinner, the guys we haven't been able to see yet. Just yep. just different approaches. Just such an interesting interesting concept. But yeah, I completely agree that it's. I think it's changing a little bit. Rublev obviously likes to play a lot of tournaments. So does Runa. But definitely decreasing the amount of tournaments you play and having to focus on the bigger ones. But performing better at the bigger ones seems to be the way to go these days. And and talking of those rankings, I think we need to go ahead and, and make some top ten predictions uh, for the end of the year. We we currently have. Novak at one, Alcaraz at two, Medvedev at three, Sinner at four. Number five is Rublev, six is Tizipas, seven is Rune, eight is Herkatch, nine is Demonor, and ten is Rude. That's after this week's results. So I think we start at number one. And let's let's nail in some predictions. We we had a good we had a good uh, good start to the predictions when when we spoke last week. So uh, let's see how we pan out at the end of the year. Perfect. Yeah, I'll, I'll go ahead and start. Um, after some consideration, I think this was something that I've thought about a bit since we talked a few days ago, but I'm going to go ahead and put Novak Djokovic in the number one slot, and I think that would uh, align with your pick as well. Yes, I have Novak as, as, as number one. I, given it's an Olympic year, he's, he's going to be laser-focused on all four slams, I'd say about five or six of the Masters events and the Olympics. And I don't I think he's going to be an unstoppable force this, this year. It's going to be very tough to top it to top him. I know he's got a lot of points to defend, but I, th- I think he'll be fine. I, I think he'll get it, get over the line comfortably. Yeah, I, I agree with everything you just said there. I think number uh, two. Yeah. Who, who do you have at number two? two? My number two pick, I'm going to go with. Probably unsurprising, uh, Carlos Alcaraz. I think that because he didn't play earlier in the season uh, last year, so no points coming off in Australia, I think he's going to really kick himself off to a good start here, make a good run, kind of cement himself right behind Novak and be chasing him early in the season here. Um, I know Novak will have a chance to pick up more points in Miami and in Indian Wells because he didn't play those last year, but I think Alcaraz is going to be a potential front runner for a lot of this year if Novak stumbles a little bit early on. So I would I would go with Alcaraz in my number two spot. Yeah, I I think that's the smart choice, and my head is is telling me to agree with you. And I'm looking at the rankings here, but I I'm not sure why, and I don't know where he's going to get the points from. I can't tell you that. But I, my number two is Yannick Sinner, just on the mm-hmm. form that I saw at the end of last year. I'm looking, he's about 2,400 points behind Alcaraz, so I don't know where those are coming from. But I I just have a feeling, and I want to be bold with the prediction. Yep. I'm going to say Sinner at number two with absolutely yep. no justification. <laughs> I agree. I would agree with you in that my my head is saying Alcaraz and my heart is saying Sinner for number two because I, I have Sinner in my number three spot. I think he's going to continue to be really good. But I think a lot of his points are missing in the Grand Slams. He did not have, I can't think of a tournament last year that he did well in a Grand Slam in. I know he made that run, small run at the U.S. Open before he went out to to Zverev in the quarterfinals, I think, with those cramps for about half that match. But I think he picks up more points in in the Grand Slams this year to really pull closer to Alcaraz. But I still think that he hasn't broken through yet and hasn't established himself at the top. 
but I can't really logically put him in there until I see him have some success. Yeah, the voice of reason and logic. But we'll see. I, I do also think that the, the seeding is going to help him. Now yes. that he's in, inside the top four, I think that will, will help him massively in, in getting a few draws and, and turning those, you know, round of 16s and quarterfinals into you know, quarterfinals and semifinals, maybe a final here and there. Um, but let's let's agree to disagree on that, switching Sinner and Alcaraz at two and three and three and two, respectively. Mm-hmm. Uh, who's your number four? Number four for me, uh, based a little bit off of, you know, recency bias, but I'm going to put Alex Zverev in at number four. He had a great week this past week. I don't think he lost a match and looked really dominant in some points. And I think he's going to continue to have success, but also have more success on other surfaces compared to some of the guys are going to follow after him. I think that he's going to do well on the clay courts. He does pretty well on all of the hard court surfaces, fast and slow. Um, and then he's always a threat with his serve at Wimbledon. So I'm going to put in Zverev at number four. I have four is Daniel Medvedev. I think people sleep on him. I, I think he's he's looking at you know 7,500 points right now. I think he'll be good. I, I don't know if he'll really win anything major this year, but I think he'll get enough points to, to keep that four spot. Yep. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I have I have Medvedev in my number five spot, and I think that Medvedev and Zverev are going to be going back and forth all year. I think they played six times already just last year. Um, I think it was 4-2 towards Medvedev. They may have actually played more matches than that, but I remember seeing a recent post on uh, Tennis TV about that. But I think those two guys are going to be neck and neck the whole year. Yeah, I I agree. I think that's a that's a good shout. At number at number five, I have I have Rublev, another Russian. Mm-hmm. I I think just based on the volume of tournaments that he plays and how consistent he is, I think he'll find enough ways to to get his point to maintain his point tally. I don't know if he'll increase it, but I think he'll he'll get to that five thousand mark where he's at currently. Mm-hmm. And looking at the point differential. There's a thousand point gap between Rublev and Titsipas between the five and six spot. So I think anyone's going to be hard pushed to, you know, to close that gap on him, just given how much he plays and how consistent he is. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that for sure. Um, I mean, there's the only thing I think that holds him back in that is if he can't break through again this year in the Grand Slam quarterfinals. That's just a, a bit of points that he's missing out on where he's, if he can break through into a one or two slam semifinals this year, he, I think he for sure stays up in that top five or six ranking area. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I have Zverev at six. You, you mentioned him having him at number four. Mm-hmm. Who do you have at the number six spot? For my number six, I have Holger Rune. I think that he had a really inconsistent year last year. He had some flashes where he was great and played really well in some tournaments. And then at the same time, he had stretches where he was pretty miserable. He would lose first or second round, look like he was injured, just kind of melt down in the matches. But I think this year he'll be a little more mature. Um, I'm pretty sure he has is – does he, is he have Boris Becker coaching him as well, I think? Yeah. 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 I, think, I think Boris will have a good impact on him. Um, and I think that he had a good week already to start the year. But I think he's going to be consistent enough, and he's going to have enough deep runs to – pick up some points to keep him, I think, at number six. 
Yeah, I agree. And a note on the on the coaching partnership for for Rune and Becca. Those are just two. They're like two peas in a pod. I think those two with their personalities. I I think they're an extremely dangerous pair to to everyone on the on the tour if they can make things click. Yeah, I would agree 100%. We even saw, I don't remember how many years back, at least five or six at this point, maybe more, but when Novak was coached by Boris Becker for a bit, Becker did have a good impact on making him play a little more aggressively and really helping him pick up a net game that he didn't have before. And I think that if uh, if Rune is able to do that, he has such huge ground strokes, both off the forehand and backhand, that adding any elements of coming forward to the net and actually having hands at the net would would benefit him tremendously going forward yeah absolutely i i've forgotten which number we're at i think we're at number seven now so seven is where i have rune you're you have someone different obviously yep i i have andre rublev at seven i think as i mentioned before just not having enough deep runs in the big tournaments is going to hold him back a little bit i still think he'll be super successful but i think the guys ahead of him have been aside from Rune, have just been really consistent throughout the last year and was Zverev coming back into the mix fully now. I think he's going to be hard-pressed to finish ahead of any of our top five guys, and then Rune is kind of a dark horse to end up really anywhere in the top ten. Yeah. Uh, well, that's interesting. We've got the same seven players in the top seven, but most of them in different orders. Yeah, um, I think we're going to have some differences on the last three players down here now. Yeah. Um, so I... When the rankings come out tomorrow, Hubi catch will be number eight. That's where I have him finishing finishing the year off. Just mm-hmm. I think he puts it together a little more than he than he has done in the past. With I, I hate to say it, but a few choking issues, but just a yeah. massive serve. I think he puts it together, has a nice year, finishes eight, sneaks into the uh, World Tour Finals, not as an alternate for for real this time. Um, yeah, I I think he's I think he's gonna have a good year. Yeah, I, I would agree with everything you said there. I have I have her catching in my nine spot, so I'm right there with you. But I have basically tied for that eighth place. I think it's going to come down to the very end of the year. But I have Casper Ruud in at number eight. I think he looks really good down in Australia, and I think that if he if he's a little more consistent this year and starts the year off better, I think he really solidifies himself in the top ten again. Last year. He he improved, I would say, from the French Open onwards. He really struggled going into the season down in Australia. And in the first part of the year, he was struggling. But once he hit the French Open, made it all the way to the finals, he, he got his confidence back. So I, I have Rude at eight and then her catch at nine. Just trailing him by a tiny bit. But I think he'll have a little bit less success on the clay. And I think that's really going to be the only difference as Rude picks up points on the hard courts and clay courts. And then QB picks up points on grass and hard and then just barely trails behind on the clay. What yeah. about you? Who do you have in that, that number nine spot? So I, this is another one of the a bold prediction that I, I'm, I'm feeling not very confident about. Um, looking at the current rankings, I have Big Foe coming in at number nine. He's certainly, mm-hmm. currently sat at number 16, the fourth highest ranked American I, when I was making it, I, I just couldn't see a scenario where no American is in the top 10. Yeah. Um, and I, I didn't like the look of Fritz at the at the end of last year. I don't know if Tommy Paul has the game this year. I think a couple of years time, I think he definitely will to be a, a top 10 fixture. And Shelton, I'm, I'm not sure I'd love for him to be in the top 10, but I'm not sure next year. So I, I was left with Big Foe 
so I put him in at nine, but I'm not confident at all. I, I don't know if you have any, if you can make me feel a bit more confident, that would be appreciated. Uh, personally, <laughs> I have I have nothing that would make you more confident unless they decide that all future ATP tournaments are going to be played in the United States. I think looking at Tiafo's track record when he plays in America, he is just a different player than when he plays internationally. So if if he can somehow play only in Miami, Indian Wells, U.S. Open, Washington, and all those tournaments, he he would be top five, top top two potentially in the world. But I think once he goes on the road, he just he's just so inconsistent tournament to tournament. We kind of saw that this week where he had some struggles in Hong Kong later in the tournament. So I I don't really have anything that's going to help your uh, prediction there. Yeah, let's just uh, let's hope that big folk can um, perform away from the United States and, and give me some points. I think that would be a that would be good for me. Um, but also interesting to look at this that that because Shelton has so few tournaments where he picked up points, losing in the round of 32 of Brisbane has moved him up two ranking spots. So he's up to number 15. It, it's uh, he has a lot of of uh, open pasture just to, to to pick up points and and do some incredible things. I wouldn't be surprised to see him get up to 12 or 11 at some point in the year. Just you know, a couple runs at you know 500s, Masters events. He just has so many points to pick up. Mm-hmm. But am I allowed I to change that- it? Am I am I allowed to am I allowed to put Shelton in instead of Big Folk? You can you can change it, but I would say. The one uh, one warning before you do, he does have, I feel like, about 80% of his points tied up in three tournaments, being the U.S. Open, the Australian Open, and then the Japan Open, I believe. With, yeah, uh, he won the win there and then deep runs in the other two. So if he, looking ahead, if he, if he stumbles a little bit in the Australian Open and loses, let's say, in the second round or third round, he's dropping in the rankings where he can still pick up a lot of points, but he's got to he's got to step it up in the middle of the year which he wasn't able to do last year i'm just going to say an american man at number nine i'm gonna go let's go with that moving on to number 10 um i have alex dimonor who do you have i based on his uh performance this week and really the performance at the end of the year i put in gregor dimitrov as number 10 i think he just looks looks really good i i think alex dimonor looks great as well but i think you put those two guys head to head, and Grigor just has a better matchup. Not that they'll be playing for the number ten spot specifically, but I like I like his chances to run deeper into tournaments and potentially take down bigger players versus the demons' chances. And I think he'll make a lot of deep runs and potentially have an Andre Rublev type year. But I I don't see a scenario where he's beating a Yannick Sinner to make a Grand Slam semifinal and then really have any chance of beating whoever he's playing in that semifinal. So I I don't really see him finishing higher, well, finishing higher than 10. I think he finishes right around that 10 spot, maybe at 11 or 12, but right in that range, I would say. Yeah, I think there's 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 about five guys right now who are going to it's going to be between them for for those for those spots. Mm-hmm. Um Demonor 2950 down to Tommy Paul at 2665 in the 13 spot. It's, it's very tight in there and very congested. So a lot of names and a lot of competition, which which we like to see on a week-to-week basis. So so good news for, for all tennis fans out there. One name that, that I didn't mention was was, was Tiritsipas. What, what, where do you think he's going to end up? Uh, 
I didn't I didn't love how he was playing this week down in the the United Cup. I think he lost four and four to Alex Verov in one of his matches. Um, and I think he played earlier in the week and got a win or two, but I think he's just going to continue to struggle unless he can pull something from somewhere. But I think he ends up being around the the thirteen to fifteen spot. I really don't see him outperforming players like Taylor Fritz, um, a Tommy Paul, even like a Ben Shelton. I would put on the same level on a week-to-week basis as what we've seen recently from Tsitsipas. Yeah, I, I agree. I, he'll be in that that 10 to 15 range, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. One player that I wanted to put as an honorable mention after the news came out earlier in the week that he was withdrawing from from the Aussie Open, I, I couldn't justify putting his name on the list, was, was Rafa to be in that 10 to 20 range. I think that's probably a long shot. Where do, what do you think his ranking potential is for for this year? I would say I I don't think he's going to play enough tournaments to get super highly ranked. And I think that the absolute best that he can do is probably around like a breaking into the top 20, maybe around 15 or so. I think, I mean, if he can win the French Open, like the best possible scenario, like I don't think he plays any more tennis if he can do that. Like, if he wins the French Open, I think he retires the next day. It's just, like, the greatest achievement that he could have. But let's say he he does be able to play the full season. I don't really see him making enough deep runs outside of clay to pick up enough points to really break. Like, I think to be in the top 10 this coming year, you're going to need at least, at a minimum, 3,000 points to stay in there. So. I don't yeah. see him picking up that many, but I think he'll be he could be competing close to that if he's healthy enough. That's just the one issue, I think. Yeah, so so Murray's at forty three with one thousand fifty points. Mm-hmm. You think you think that it's he's gonna what you're saying is gonna do significantly better than, than what Murray's been able to do with only a year to do it. I, I think he's gonna be more more in that Murray range. Yeah, I think absolute best case scenario is winning the French Open, which would still only, I think, put him around 15 in the world. But I think much more realistically, he only plays five or six tournaments total. Like if he's playing, if he's not playing the Australian Open, he's not playing before Miami and Indian Wells. And even then, I don't think he plays either of those tournaments. I think he's back at the beginning of the French Open, not in French Open, but the, the clay court swing. I think he really sets his sights on that now that he's, He's picked up an injury in his first tournament back already. I don't really see him putting too much value in going to those tournaments and trying to win while risking his potential last clay court season. Plus, he's going to get wild cards into any event that he wants, so it's not it's not really a rankings issue for him to to compete. Yeah, it'll be it'll be really interesting to see where his last tournament is actually, because mm-hmm. you know I he'll the last Grand Slam, the U.S. Open at, at Flushing Meadows, he'll want to play that. Of course, but after that, historically, is where his season is sort of tailed off. He, he hasn't right. played as many events. He's not the same, you know, phenomenon on an indoor court as he is on the clay and the hard courts. You know, then he goes to, to Asia. He's, he's never really done too much there. And uh, if he's qualifies for the for the World Tour Finals, he, he'll play that. But it, it's probably unlikely that he will, unless he. You know, wins a slam and and gets in automatically. So it will be interesting to see, you know, where is you know, I guess send off, which is what this year is meant to be, will will take place 
be very interesting to see how the season develops. But yeah, I guess one other point on that that'll be interesting to see is if he is able to play the Olympics. I think I think the Olympics are only based around getting in your top two ranked players from your country. So I'm pretty sure it's a smaller draw of 64, maybe maybe a little bigger, but I don't. Is know there a, rough... an exception if you've won it? Is it like the is it like the Masters almost at golf? You know, you you get the green jacket and and you can play you know as as many as you want regardless of your ranking. It may be. I've never really looked into it enough to see. I didn't really consider it. But if Rafa yeah. doesn't play enough matches to be in that top range, he might not get the nod. I don't know if they're going to pass up having, uh, let's say, Alcaraz is going to get in almost for sure if he wants to play. And then the next highest ranked Spaniard is Davidovich Fakina, I think. Yeah, twenty-two. So, yeah, somewhere around there. So having having Rafa leapfrog one of the younger guys to take a spot, if it's not based off a ranking, I don't think they have more than two players per country in the tournament. So it'll be interesting to see um, if he really makes a push to get in for that, or if there's a way for him to compete. Because I'm sure he would love to play. Uh, potentially in the olympics on his favorite i mean basically home course in the in the french open in paris so that'll be a i think i think the stars have aligned too much for where that event is for him not mm-hmm. to be in it i don't see right i mean you, granola's is is 10 in the world doubles maybe they play him in doubles if that could be true but, yeah but i i you know i also alcaraz and adult imagine that as an olympic team it, yeah. it's too great of a story to not do it, it's too great I agree 100%. But let's take a quick break. Okay, so for the first edition of of Trivia for the Statman, Jacob Andrews, you're a Novak fan, so I'm going to ask you a Novak Djokovic-related question. Novak Djokovic has won 27 ATP, 250, and 500 events since 2006. Can you name where he won these tournaments? All 27 of them. There's, I would say there is zero chance that I'm going to get this right, but I will, I'll make my best effort. Um, there's 14 locations. He's won several multiple times. And when you, when you get a correct answer, I'll tell you how many times he's won it. Okay. How many do you think so, you can get right? I that, think, that's the pass and fail. How many do you think you can get right? Okay. I'm going to say six locations right. I, I'll give I'll give you the the 2006 because as I when I looked at this I one of these tournaments I I didn't even know existed at any point in time. Okay. And it's in Holland Amersfoort. I would have had zero chance of getting that one. And then he also won in Mets that year too. But that's okay. the only two I'm giving. Gotcha. All right. So I'll go ahead and start then. I know he won down in Australia last year. Uh, I think he took down Seth Corder in the final. Would that have been in Brisbane? This was Adelaide. Adelaide, okay, that's I got Which is, mixed up, but yeah, you got the you got the country right. Yes, country right, turned it wrong, but we'll continue on. Um, I will say for the next one, he won. I don't, I don't think he ever played this tournament. He won my work. No, not my. All right, let me think. Uh, we'll go with Bars. Nope, not Barcelona. Rafa won that. Basically, every time it's been played ever. Um, 
I'll go with Washington, D.C. No, in- one incorrect answer. Ah, oh, darn. All right, next guess. Uh, pretty easy one, Dubai. I'm pretty sure he's won that multiple times. Yeah, I have him winning that five times. Five times, okay. So Dubai, he would move on to the season probably with the U.S. Open hardcourt swing, and then we move into the clay courts. He didn't really ever play down in South America. No, no. Think of, um, I know there's a couple weird ones, like like obscure locations, like in recent years. Oh, okay. I I know he won in Serbia, or maybe not. Yeah, Belgrade. I got three in Belgrade. Okay. Take the Serbia ones. He played in Stockholm, or is it Stockholm? Uh, No, Rotterdam is where I met Rotterdam. Yeah, so I think that was the Amersfoort one. Oh, okay. I know they've had that tournament more recently, but I don't know if they call it Rotterdam or if they if he's just not played it. No, I don't. I, he may have played it, but he hasn't won it. Okay. What about Basel then? Yeah, he won Basel. All right. Got Basel. Uh, where else? Not there. He won a tournament recently last year. Where is I'm trying to remember. He played against uh, Vasic Pospisil, and he played at some other tournament. This was at the end of I think 2021. I'm trying to remember the country though. It was some more obscure country. I'll have to pass on that one. Go to Asia. Think think of some oh, uh, Asian. Okay, you got uh, the. The Japan Open, the Tokyo Open. Yep. And then there is also, well, they didn't play. They haven't played the Hong Kong tournament from this year up until I think 2000 something, early 2000s. So not that one, but there's the China Open. I think that was the Beijing Open. Yep, he's won that several times. Yep. Um, I don't remember any other Asian tournaments at the end of the year though. Well, he's never. He's also never won Queens. Oh, he's he never won Queens. Win. No, no. But there, what about the other tournament that is in in the UK? Uh, Queens. Other than Wimbledon, of course. Right. Um, Queens. I know Halla is in Germany. Hertogenbosch. Made the final then. Yep. That's not Hertogenbosch, right? That's a different tournament. Um, it would be yeah it's it's in the uk on grass yeah and it's usually the week directly before wimbledon yeah i remember him winning this tournament back in 20 i think that it was he beat marin chilich in the final and it was before he beat rafa in that semi-final i think 2018 maybe i'm just trying to remember the location i know they have queen's club and they have one other tournament and I know it's a very popular term. I remember all these players yeah. playing it, but I I would have to phone a friend on the name. Okay. Uh, you might be thinking of the wrong tournament. Um, he beat Monfils in the final, three and four. Medvedev in the semis. Donald Young in the quarters. And Vasek Pospisil in, in the round of 16. Hmm. So this is a while ago then. Yeah. You need me to tell you? 
Yeah, I give up on this one. I have no idea where it is. Eastbourne. Eastbourne. Okay. Yeah, I I would not have remembered that tournament at all. Okay. Let's uh let's keep it going. Uh, let me see what else I can. I think I feel like you can get these two. The the the, the two recent ones in 2022, and they're at the end of the year. They're indoor hard. Yep. Think one one was in Israel. Yep. I'll I'll, was, I'll give you, Tel Aviv. Yeah. I'll give you that. You got yeah, that. Remember, yep. There's that one, and then one more at the end the, of the year. Kazakhstan. Think. Kazakhstan. I, I think so. trying to think of the Kazakhstan. I can I can imagine seeing the tournament in my head, but I don't remember the name of it. Astana, the Astana Open. The Astana Open. See, I I would not have remembered him playing in that tournament. I remember him playing in it, but I don't remember anything other than him winning the tournament at the end. Yeah, he beat Titsipas in the final. Medvedev again in the semis. Catching off. Man, this was a good 250. That's a yeah, that's a big tournament right there. <laughs> and uh, Van der Zandschulp as well. Um, that's a that's a bunch of top twenty wins in right there. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. What 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 other what other hints can I give you to get these? I, I feel like you, you can get these. Are there any more tournaments in the United States that I didn't get? No, no. Okay. Um, he cleans more up the Masters one thousands and the Grand Slams, but but not the two fifties. Yeah. Um, two of, are they... two of them are in Europe, and one of them's in Asia. Okay. Um, in Asia, you got Beijing, Tokyo, and it doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, that's my that's my last hint. I'm trying to remember which tournament it was. I remember him playing in these tournaments, and I'm trying to remember what city it was in. Well, I'll come back to that one. I'll think of Europe first. So and and think Europe. of another time. You're thinking of the Asian swing. Think of another time of year for that one. Okay. I will I will come back to that one while I think on it. So for Europe, the only I'll ask for one hint for these. Are these in the the first third of the year, like the middle third? Are, are they in the clay swing or are they in the end of the year swing? Okay. One of them is in the end of the year swing. Okay. And one of them I need to look up because it's like a it's one of those random 250 events that it's in Europe, but I believe it's like after the French Open. Uh, it's it's okay. weird. I'm, I'm surprised he ever played this tournament. Is it in Switzerland? No, like, but I, it's it's it it's the same. It's that week. In Austria, maybe 250 in Austria. No. Okay. I think it's like um, hot. It, it's oh, hot, hot weather. So my Yeah, you're closer. Oh, that, that you're really that close, be, right? That yeah, that would be that grass. Was on grass, yeah. Hot weather. Different children. In Portugal, is there a 250 in Portugal? It is. That's the right country. It was 2007. Oof. Lisbon, maybe. No, I think it's the tournament that still exists, but. In 
I don't know enough cities in Portugal aside from Lisbon to know any other uh, places that he may have played in there. Estoril. Estoril. Okay. Yeah. So I, I recognize the tournament name now. That's uh, a great place it, for Casper Rude. Yeah. But the, the one, the link I've clicked on here is actually coming up as a challenger event. I guess okay. it got downgraded and then they replaced it with another one. Gotcha. That makes sense. Yeah. The, the picture on the ATP website is like a, a rundown court in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> nice. Novak graced him with his presence. Um, okay, so you got two more. I give you a half point on that. Okay. I'll, I'll one, grade, one, I'll is in, curve. one is in Asia and one is in Europe. So oh. for uh, I would and say, I think go ahead. You kind of got it. You said the country. It's indoor hard, and you may have said the country, but it was for the Estoril one that you said it. Oh, so it's in Portugal? No, no. Like, you oh, guessed okay. the, the country. Gotcha. Um, is there one in Belgium? Um, Belgium? There may be, but not one that Novak yeah. won. Belgium, Austria. Is there one in Holland that he won? Um, yeah, that was the Amersfoort one. I guess the Rotterdam one. Yep. I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell okay. you, Jacob. I give up. What is it? I think you're going to kick yourself. The first one is Vienna. Oh, that's such a... Okay, yeah, that's that's pretty obvious. Yeah, and this one you're really going to kick yourself. Doha. No, Doha. <laughs> in my mind, Doha and Dubai are almost the same tournament, but I know they're not. And yeah. it always has big names in both of them, and I just get them confused. I'm like, oh, they're playing in Dubai again. I and mean, it's in Doha. Yeah. All right, so that, that was all... I think you did pretty well. I would give myself, if I had to rate myself on, you know, like a school level grade, I'm going to give myself a C minus for that. Uh, I probably could name a lot more of Novak's Masters 1000s and Grand Slams, but as a Novak fan, I don't think that was my best showing, especially on the 250s and the 500s. I think a few of those 500s stand out, but for the most part, I got to give myself a 72 on that. All right. All right. Well, it's only the first week, so there's there's uh, plenty of room to improve. Um, if you're not happy, you'll be great, and maybe some extra I'll definitely, credit. Definitely, uh, definitely study up here. And that rounds out the pod tonight. I've been George Barford, and I'm Jacob. Thank you so much for listening to Around the Net Post Talking Tennis. Please find us at Apple, Spotify, Amazon, and many more sites. Don't forget to leave a five star review. It really does help us out a lot. And remember, always go around the net post.